0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Brewery Ministries Podcast. I am your host, Nathan, and today we are exploring, was the early Christian church, the original first century Christian church, different than the modern church? I'm going to interview a friend of mine, Daniel Habig. He grew up in my hometown of Avon, Indiana. He lives in Austin, Texas now. And we're going to hear his impressions of the early Christian church compared to the modern day church why the early church was so electric, why it spread so quickly, and what was so interesting about it. So before we dive into the interview, I have a few thoughts myself on this. One of the reasons I asked Daniel this question is because everybody pretty much knows that the modern church is struggling. Young people are not as interested in church or in faith as they used to be, so where the early church was growing and exploding and expanding very quickly the modern church is shrinking, and they're losing steam with the younger generation. So I thought it'd be a great time to examine the differences, and one of them that I see is that the modern church is just not as relational as the early church. The structure that we've come up with in the modern church is just not very conducive to natural, organic conversation about faith, asking tough questions, building close-knit relationships. Not necessarily saying that everything the modern church does is bad or wrong, but I think it could benefit from re-examining the early church and trying to figure out what they were doing that was so impactful. Communion is a really good case study on this because it started out as this really intimate relational meal together. But over the years, it evolved into something that would fit into a church service in a shorter time frame with people who don't know each other. And it lost some of the things that made it relational. Not all of it, but let's quickly compare communion in the early Christian church to modern day church, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. So when we look at modern communion... People generally take a cup of juice and a little piece of bread, and they eat it, and they remember what Jesus did when he died on the cross. What the early church did, though, was quite a bit different, and it was in a different setting. Communion was a meal in homes. What you'll probably notice right off the bat is today we have this short snack, and back then people got together and they had a whole meal, and they brought wine, and they talked. It sounds quite cool. It's kind of like if you got together with two or three friends and got them together in your living room, you brought some wine, you made this huge feast, and you sat there together and you talked about faith and questions you had about God and what he'd done in your life, that would be a closer modernization of the original early church communion. So some of you are probably like, ooh, that sounds interesting what they remembered when they took this meal, too, was much more theologically deep. I know that sounds really provocative. The main point is still the same. So the early church would remember Jesus and what he did on the cross, which is the same thing that we remember today. But back then, they weren't just remembering the cross. They were remembering the entirety of what God had done for the Jewish people. So if you think about it this way, They were remembering this whole big story when they had this meal. Today, we remember the climax of that story, but not the rest of it. Communion was actually something that was built off of a celebration called the Passover meal. This meal celebrated when God had saved the people from being slaves in Egypt. That's what the second book of the Bible is about. If you've heard of Moses, that's that same story. So, at the Passover meal, they would celebrate their independence, basically, when God saved them from slavery. And then they would remember everything that happened from Exodus, that second book of the Bible, all the way to current day. And once a year, they would get together, and they'd have this big meal, they'd have food, and they'd have wine, and they would stay up all night telling the story and talking about what God had done. So, a modernization of that, the Passover feast celebration, would be if you made a bonfire in your backyard, you had a bunch of people over, you had some food and drinks, and you just stayed up all night and you talked. If you fast forward to the New Testament, before Jesus died, he shared this meal with his friends. They were having the Passover meal, which becomes modern-day communion, and he retells that original story about God saving the people from Egypt, but he plugged himself into the story and deepened the meaning. Explaining that and explaining what all that meant and how he did that would be like a whole nother episode. If you want to know more about that, I would highly recommend you get on YouTube and look up The Bible Project Passover, because Tim Mackey did this long episode where he basically traces the symbolism of the Passover meal and explains what it all meant and what Jesus was doing. He also did a podcast episode on his podcast Exploring My Strange Bible. It's Matthew Part 32, The Passover Meal. So that would be another good resource if you want to learn more about that story. But my guess is because we're not Jewish, we don't remember the Passover meal today, so we only celebrate the climax of the story and not this long, deeper narrative about God pursuing humans as a family. The differences I see there between early Christianity and modern Christianity is their early communion was theologically deeper, the story went deeper, and it was more relational. Their method was much different. It was more natural, less organized, and they functioned more like close friends or a family. Our ministry tries to somewhat emulate this in the best way we can. We get some friends together at a local brewery, and we invite other people, and we just talk through the Bible and talk about faith and God and wrestle with questions together while we have food and drinks. And our model for that has been the early church. I think that people who struggle with church services might really like what the early church was doing, so I think getting together with a few friends around your dining room table or at a brewery or at a restaurant might be the future of church for the younger generation. It's not to say that organized church is going to go away, but I do think they would do well to look at the early church and study it and see what they could take to build into present-day church to kind of restore some of what's been lost that people are longing for. I think we could benefit from both re-examining the story they were telling and how they got together to share their faith. So without any further ado, let's dive into this discussion with Daniel and hear his thoughts on this topic. Hey, everybody. I'm sitting here with Daniel Habig, a buddy of mine. Say hi, Daniel. Hello, everyone. Howdy from Texas, excuse me. Yes, from Austin, Texas. I have known Daniel for a long time. He's a really smart guy, video game programmer, a musician, he's a drummer, and he's got a really good head on his shoulders, very, very philosophically and theologically smart, asks some really good questions. So we thought we would just go through some questions that I talked to my group at the brewery about uh, together to kind of give you an idea of the kind of things we talk about and find interesting. So uh Daniel, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself and say anything about yourself?
1: Um sure, I, I can say a little bit. Um first of all, thank you for for having me. Um I was really, really excited when when you sent me the invite to to have this discussion talking about, you know, Genesis, but you know some, some uh some bigger, you know, questions about religion and, and God and sort of the the Christ life kind of thing um so i've been here in austin for a little bit now um so you and i grew up together that's how that's how we know each other we we all came from a suburb of uh, indianapolis Indiana. so we're a little far from from home now but you know you, you've settled now in, in kansas and and myself now in uh in austin texas and I, I gotta say i really like the uh uh the southwest it's wonderful wonderful place and wonderful barbecue i love it so much um, yes we've, miss, uh, we've miss, actually uh, had some together uh i've had you over for dinner a couple times, and we've had discussions like like the one we're going to have tonight, and delicious food. And so, no food tonight, but uh, I think discussion oh. will still be there.
0: Yeah, the discussion is the food. This is yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> it's the nourishment. <laughs> And uh, I hope this will be helpful to who's who's ever li- uh, listening as, as well. I, I think lots of interesting topics for us tonight.
0: Yeah, so we're going to dive in with a pretty juicy question right off the bat. Okay, what do you think the early church was like, and what what appeals to you about it? And is it any different than the modern church?
1: Yeah the first century church right you know Mm -hmm. um, because after christ passed christ died um we all switched to you know a.d so we're in the year 2022 a.d right now um so the first century uh, kingdom, Christian kingdom, was, I mean, under severe threat from the the leaders of the time and and even just the the culture of the time. Maybe that's one of the ways we're we're the same. You know that that never really changes. because, uh you know you're always under attack. Oh sorry, fly. Uh, you're the Christ life is always under attack from you know people who don't understand or you know the the whims of culture so to speak one of the things the the christian church did you know in in the early days was you know they were people who actually lived who knew christ personally you know, it wasn't just stories that they read or writ down. In fact, mo- most of the people at that time were, you know, illiterate. And it was very difficult to actually um, transmit things in, in writing because you had to, one, you had to know someone who could read and write, write it down, put it on horseback and ride it, you know, across the, the continent and hope that they're not, you know, uh, killed or, or taken captive by murderers and people along the road who would do that sort of thing, barbarians. Um, and so a lot of, W- the way the, m- the, message the gospel was spread was through word of mouth it was through through you know these missions these people like Paul or Peter for example you know going uh, from city to city and town to town and they they would write letters to, to people of course um, but you know it spread very quickly I, I believe Paul did a lot of work in the Roman Empire um, sort of you know the Mediterranean area and Peter uh, actually went um, eastward and so he went to to Ind- Indonesia area I think I think I got that right Christianity took a little while to become pop popular, um, I, I guess you could say, um, it, like it eventually did become the primary religion. That's why we have Roman Catholics, right? Like that's that's where that comes from. Is um, the Roman Empire eventually you know incorporated it into their their DNA of of their culture? And so, what's really interesting about that to me is sort of the the grassroots aspect of it, you know. And it, I think it's something we take for granted in the modern church about like what th- things people know and or don't know about the Bible or about the message of Christ because we've lived in the western uh Christian culture or, or at least the derivative of that culture for for quite a while now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You think they had a perspective that maybe we don't have that we could benefit from recovering almost.
1: Part of modern life, right, is that we have a lot of modern conveniences. Um, we have a lot of buffers between us and the natural world. Um, you know, like I don't have to work on a farm to get my food, and I'm very thankful for that. I get to do computer programming, right? Like I, I I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, But there's a disconnect in some sense between me and my neighbor, right? Because I'm not doing something that directly affects them, even though we live right next to each other in a town. You know, way way back when, if you lived in a town, you supported your town and your neighbor and your country because who else is going to help you in your time of need? Like nobody knows about you except for your neighbor. And so what's interesting to me about that is these early Christians had everything to lose following Christ, you know. You don't break the culture. You you don't try to introduce something that's going to throw a wrench in the works. Um because you're going to get thrown out of your town. You're going <laughs> to you're you're going to get um, cast away, and yet what they saw, what they understood of the Christ life, was so profound to them and so total that they said, "You know what? It's more important that I share this with people and risk them not accepting it, and you know, risk that I may be a vagabond and you know, traveling around than than to not speak up or to to disregard it." And so, I think there's a ri- a risk factor that's. It hasn't gone away, but it's it's definitely been been lighter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's easier these days for people to to enter the church easier than it than it than it's ever been. Um, but I think what that causes though is this confusion that it's easy to be a Christian, and I, I think you see you're not in your head. I think yep. you see where I'm going <laughs> with this. Oh yeah. Um, there's I, I I forget who who said it. You know, some some Christian writer. But they were talking about what it feels like or some, some sort of, you know, little analogy for what it's like to follow Christ. And they were saying that it costs you everything. And it really does because you're, you're giving your whole being into what this path is. And so there's a, a little bit of a, um, a, a false sense of ease I think in certain churches about what it means to follow Christ. Um, And some people find out the hard way, um, you know, probably for the best. <laughs> Ironically enough, you know they they give themselves to Christ and then really find out what's all involved with that. Um, and not to say that the sacrifice isn't worth it, but just that it is a sacrifice. And you know, you you lose people, you know, family and and friends, and you know, you're you're misunderstood by people often um, when you. Are in the pursuit of truth because that's what Christ is. Is He's the Word. He's the Truth, and to pursue that means you're going to learn some stuff that you didn't didn't expect, uh, and that's hard to to share with people because they may just not understand.
0: Well, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying because I mean, there's things that I deal with, you know, that maybe I don't want to deal with, <laughs> you know, and like we can't necessarily ignore some of our inner demons as much as a christian as maybe we did Mm. before like i guess we have to make the difficult decision to look inward and address some of our own issues you know like that is hard and that's kind of painful um but i think if i look at myself in 10-year chunks it's definitely been a good thing but it's not it's not ever easy to confront your own problems or maybe unhealthy coping mechanisms or whatever it is you know
1: what um what was the name? Uh, this is a very famous story in the Bible, I'm I'm a little embarrassed. I don't I don't remember the the name of the person, but he he becomes Israel. His name, your name, shall be Israel, and he's the one who has the wrestling match uh, with Jacob. With Jacob, thank you. Yeah, um, something interesting about that story, right? Um, it's a very odd story, and one of the th- lessons that it, that it teaches, I, I I think, is that part of having a relationship with the transcendent with, with the divine is a struggle. It's a fight because one, Christ is everything. Christ is everything. And when you bring yourself up against that, you bring with you all of your inadequacies and all of your sin and all of your problems, all of your good as well. But you bring that up against Christ and it just gets dashed to pieces. <laughs> and you got to pick yourself back up and you know, you're know you a little bit lighter now because you've thrown off some of the things that have held you back before but if you still want to pursue christ you have to put yourself up against him again Mm -hmm. and you know it's intimidating to, to do that over and over again because you know in some ways it's a fight you're gonna lose but it's also the way that you move forward in life and and i don't just mean spiritually i mean that's that's what you do in a career that's what you do you know for personal development every time i go to the gym right I'm, I'm pushing myself, you know, to, to my limit. And then I try to go a little further and I break myself down a little bit you know, it's painful. It's funny you, you say that because that.
0: that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking about cross country when I used to run in high school and they'd be, we, like, we were on the same cross, or cross yeah. not at the same time, but we, we not were at the same time. Yeah. Together. Same school. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was thinking, I remember when my coach started introducing <laughs> longer and longer workouts and it's like, today we're going to run 13 miles. And I'm like, Oh no. And you know, I guess it was good for you, but it also breaks you down at the yeah. same time. Yeah, that's the analogy that came to mind for me.
1: That's that's the thing that I think is missing from a lot of the, the Christian message in most churches these days, is just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you're immune from suffering or tragedy. Um, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Joel Osteen. But... And I think... <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. And and I think a lot of people probably would never become a Christian then, because they're like, Well, screw that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be part of this this organization if I'm not gonna get anything out of it. You know, that's a very transactional way of thinking about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in some sense they're right. Like if you don't get something out of putting effort towards it, then then maybe it's not worth your time. But what you stand to gain from this doesn't work that way. It's like Here's here's another way of thinking about it, right? There's terrible tragedies that can happen to any any one of us. You know, you get hit with two or three at the same time. That can just knock you out. You oh, lose yeah. your job. You you get cancer, and uh, you know, death death in the family. Boom, boom, boom. You're <laughs> you're not having a good time. Not at all. And you, you wake up in the morning, you're like, why bother? Christ is there to say, you're still worth something. You're still meaningful. Your life is still meaningful and has purpose. And despite this suffering, you have the strength to stand against it. What an encouraging mm-hmm. message, right? And like, how else are you going to combat the tragedies of the world? Like, you need something to stir your spirit, you know, to, to get you up. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that about, and that's, that's definitely what the first century church had, right? You know, they had a mission, man. They were like, this message is, is bigger than any one of us. And we got to share this as, as best as we can. And you know what? Some people aren't going to accept it and that's okay. Maybe they will in time, maybe not, but I know what my purpose is and my Mm -hmm. mission, and I'm going to keep moving and do
0: that. It's
1: somewhat embarrassing
0: for me to say, but so 10 years ago, I wasn't nearly as far in my studying and my walk and my journey in my faith. Um, And I remember at that time, you know, some friends, some college friends asked me about Christianity and like what it was and why I thought it was relevant or meaningful. Well, my answer was, I think it's the best way to live. And I suppose that's still true, but not in the way that I thought it was at the time. Like, I don't know that it's the most enjoyable way to live all the time. I can say it's the most meaningful maybe I could say that. Yeah. But like I feel like I sold it way short. I think <laughs> I, I think of it more as like God's trying to create a family and He loves people. He's trying to ask all of them to to join it or to come back to it. And I was thinking more about like how is my life going to be if I if I do things right. You mm-hmm. know? And there's there's a much bigger message there that I just hadn't come to that understanding yet. But you know what you said earlier, that almost like a like a I don't know if it's an infant level or a teenager level of of explanation of the story of, of what Christianity is, is widely circulating. And of course you've got people around that are in all different stages in their faith journey. So maybe that's why. But at some point we've all got to graduate to this this level of understanding, like, oh, like, yeah, Christianity is really meaningful and powerful, but it's, it's not like you become a Christian and and you're not going to get cancer. Like your life is going to be tough,
1: but it will have meaning. It'll have meaning absolutely yeah and and I mean that's the trade-off right is you you know there's all sorts of philosophies and religions in the world that try to offer meaning and what we're saying is we we believe this is the the, the best one that that does that and and also the one that's that is true True and true, not just in a, a meaning sense. Uh, th- there's a famous conversation between C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. So Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, and Tolkien, of course, wrote Lord of the Rings. You know, both very influential, very amazing stories. And at the time, uh, C.S. Lewis was a Christian. And I believe Tol- Tolkien was an agnostic, and they're both very, very well-read gentlemen. They, they're both very educated, and they've read very famous uh, historical myths. And Tolkien asked Lewis, uh, he called him Jack, his nickname was Jack. He's like, Jack, why, why do you, you know, why are you a Christian now? Because he didn't used to be, and he says, well. Christianity the story of Christ is a true myth and that's what's so powerful about it is it's not only mythological in the sense that it's this um, this story that has survived endured the the span of time right you know it's true in that it actually happened. And so there's a marriage in the story, not of the divine and the earthly, and that's what's so cool about. It, is the structure of it is that marriage, just like the content of it is that that marriage. And Tolkien was so so moved by that, you know, he he eventually uh, converted to to Christianity as well. That made sense to him, and I, I just thought that was very interesting.
0: Wow! So that conversation is responsible for us getting Lord of the Rings, huh? Uh, maybe,
1: maybe. <laughs> I, I love Lord of the Rings so much, so much. Um, also has a very good um, mythological origin story. There, There's the four main books, The Hobbit, The Fellowship, uh, The Two Towers, and then uh, Return of the King. But after Tolkien died, uh, his son put together a bunch of his, you know, work that hadn't been published. And they published a book called The the Silmarillion. And it's really dense. It's really hard to read, <laughs> if, if I'm honest. Um but it gives context to the world of the, the Lord of the Rings. And one of the stories in that is the, the origin story of, of, of Middle-earth. And th- this may be a good tie-in to kind of some, some of the, the next questions that, that we'll get to um, in that You know origin story. There's God with a big G. I I think his name's Eru, and then there's like the gods with with a little G kind of thing. And they create the world through music and song. There's something I, I really like about that. We're both musicians. You know, we both recognize sort of the the patterns of music and how there's there's horizontal patterns across time and vertical patterns like melodies and structure like that and how. You can have patterns that come together on on multiple levels and fit together and that can make really powerful and, and, and beautiful music. And that's how they created the world. But then, you know, evil comes into the world kind of thing. And what does that look like in his myth? Well, it's discord. It's it's disharmony, you know, it's people's uh, people. It's it's the the entities who are part of this chorus saying, "I don't want to play a part in this song. I have my own song I want to sing." And so they start singing their own thing that's, you know, conflicting with with the goings on of the actual song. And that's how that's introduced into the world.
0: That is almost like early Genesis. That is basically just a retelling of of genesis 3 Mm -hmm. well actually you could say it's genesis 1 through 11 all right we're gonna wrap things up there i actually talked to daniel for like two hours and we went over like five or six different questions including did god create evil and we had a lengthy discussion on one of the most difficult chapters in the bible in my opinion the sacrifice of isaac that story where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. So that's a really disturbing story. So we tried to unpack it and look at the cultural context and figure out, is there anything missing that we're not seeing today that maybe ancient people knew that made that story a little easier to digest? So I'm going to be releasing the rest of our conversation over the course of a few episodes, and I'm also going to be interviewing a few other people both uh, friends, longtime friends of mine and people who visit our brewery discussion group to kind of expose you to some of the kind of things we talk about there. So that'll be a lot of fun. You can watch the interviews over on the YouTube channel for Brewery Ministries, and we will be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.